0: Good morning, Saints. I begin this morning by posing a question. If the gospel is the power of God to salvation, if the Holy Spirit lives within us, and if we have the Word of God, why is there a threat? That people would be taken captive when we have so much for us. I'm not referring to losing our salvation, but being taken captive in this world in various ways, by various philosophies, as we saw in our sermon last week. The beginning of Colossians 2. We discuss the vain philosophies of this world that we find in culture from generation to generation, essentially repeating and altering the old echo from the garden. Did God really say? Yea, hath God said, did he really say that? We specifically noted four historical characters that have helped form our Western thought, ending up with Sigmund Freud, who laid the foundation for people to form their identity through their passions, preferences, or their background. As Christians, we know that our true identity is in Christ because we are in Christ. Christ worldly philosophy does not point us to Christ, nor will it solve our true problems. it so often only deceives through empty promises. There remains a few systems of ideologies or philosophies that Paul will deal with in this chapter, and we'll focus our time on the one that I think is the most problematic and widespread for Us, I believe. So we begin this morning with a little pop quiz. A succession of questions that we need to give our attention to. The first one is this. Christ came. A. So we could feel guilty all the time. B. So we could feel ashamed of our failures. Of our experiences and our associations. C. So that we could exhaust ourselves through performance driven Christianity. Letter D. To set us free. Which one is it? Right? Let's frame this in a little bit of a different way. Second set of questions. There's a few of these this morning. Christ wants me, as a Christian, to live in guilt and shame. To exhaust myself trying to prove my worth every single day through every conceivable angle. C. To feel inadequate in every situation because that's what I've been told since I was a kid. Letter D. D. I will refer to my notes (laughs) to believe every lie ever told about me because it is true and to live as if they are true. E. To spend my life making a performance sheet every day in my mind, a mental, a mental list. To show that I indeed deserve to be called a Christian. Letter F. To compare myself to every single person ever. Even those that I don't even know. Now we chuckle. But why do we live as if that's true? Why do we do it? So let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus. What did Christ do? A, he lived a better life than anyone else and he got it right most of the time. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. Letter B, he died for my sins so I could get a leg up and have a better shot at making it in. C, He showed his amazing love and his amazing grace to everybody except me. Because I'm unworthy. Letter D. He pretty much got the job done, but there's still lots of work for me to do to keep my good standing. So I had better well get on to it and start working hard in all my religious efforts to get it done. Letter E. This is a popular one. He came speaking truth, but there's also lots of other truth in other places that might be better than his truth. Are any of those true? But here's the thing. We can look at these direct statements and we can kind of laugh and say, that's not true. And yet, deep down inside, we have these deeply residing thoughts that lead us to believe and to live and to act as if those are true. We have two more. Jesus. Now, on this one, you need to tell me where the falsehood is. And I say that sarcastically. Jesus perfectly kept God's law on my behalf. Jesus completely propitiated God's righteous wrath on sin because he died for me. Propitiation means to satisfy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Letter D. He came to create a people zealous for good works. And finally, letter E, he ever lives to make intercession for me. All of those statements are true. All of these statements are what we call good Bible theology or Christology or another big word, sotriology. That is the study of salvation. This is what God has to say about Christ, about us, about our wonderful salvation This is what Colossians 1 is all about. So we have one more. If those statements are true, tell me if there's any falsehood here. As a believer in Christ, I am a completely accepted in Christ. I am adopted into God's forever family. I am invited to rest In Jesus, did he not say you will find rest for your soul? I am loved beyond my ability to ever even fully comprehend. That's Ephesians 3. I am a saint. That means holy one. Because I am in Christ. I am forgiven and I am free in Jesus. I am a fellow heir with Christ. Now, saints, a fun little exercise, perhaps, but this is why theology matters. It's why it is important for us to know what God's word says and to believe it and to rest in it and to build our lives accordingly. Because this is how Paul, in particular, writes his letter. He'll give you lots of rich theology, and then he'll tell you how to live in light of it. This is what we're about, and Colossians is extraordinary in that way. So let's read our scripture passage this morning. It is the conclusion of chapter 2. It is Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are, were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now this is important, verse 23. Now these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. in in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and and severity to the body. Oh, but saints, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So there are three vices specifically that Paul speaks to in Colossians 2, in addition to the vain philosophies that he's mentioned before, mysticism, asceticism, And legalism. So let's talk about legalism. If you have experienced legalism. I guarantee you. It has left its mark on your soul. Common side effects of a legalistic mindset. Are feeling guilty. All of the time. Ashamed. Or just flat out exhausted on a regular basis. Living in a big fear that somehow you're going to break the rules and maybe not even know it. Or that someone's going to come chasing you and yelling at you because you broke the rules when you didn't even know it. At its core, legalism is adding works to faith. On the completely heretical side... It means requiring religious works in order to be saved, in order to get into heaven, which of course we flatly reject. But even within the church, and I am quite positive that many of you can give testimony to this. Even within the church, there can be an overemphasis on doing rather than resting, resting in Jesus. It can be an arbitrary list of things that you can or cannot do, an overemphasis on such things, so that it's almost as if that list becomes synonymous with your Christian life. Saints, the Christian life is Jesus. He is the vine, and we are the branches. Now here's an important part. These lists that exist in certain, in certain circles, some of the items, perhaps most of the items on the list can be very good. Like they belong on a list that we should be mindful of. There are absolutely sins that we must avoid, such as sexual immorality, of any kind. Why? Because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as such, we are to carry ourselves and conduct ourselves with honor before the Lord and those around us. But many of these items on the list need to be kept in their proper place. If that list becomes bigger or more random than reveling in God's grace as you pursue righteousness, I'm telling you it's out of whack. Keep in mind the other extreme, sometimes called hyper-grace, in which basically you can live any way you want, you know, because grace. Both of these extremes are wrong. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and be sincere in following the Lord and red hot in serving one another. We are to know right from wrong. And to abstain, as Peter says, to abstain from the lusts and the passions which war against our soul. We are to love our neighbor and particularly love by our actions those within the household of God. We are to say no to sin and pursue righteousness, to live a life that is both pleasing to the Lord and a light and a testimony to those around us. However, my friends, the Christian life is not, has never been, and will never be merely a list of do's and don'ts. How can I possibly live the life that God desires of me? Only by walking by the Spirit, as Collins Clark would always tell us. Not a legalistic to-do note list. I can only accomplish this by abiding in Christ, the true and the living God. Vine. Being constantly in fear that perhaps I've broken the rules, it will never develop Christian joy within me. Trying to keep up and check off the list to demonstrate my performance will exhaust me and it will not develop a gracious mindset. Within me as I interact with others. If anything. It will develop an attitude of harshness. Towards others. Because we're judging others in the same way that we've been judged by others. And that is not what God wants. There's a balance. We want to, to avoid the extremes. So, this is so important for us to hear this morning. We did not get in. We were not saved. We were not born again. Only to have to maintain our good standing through our performance. It is either by faith or it's not by faith. You pick. Saving faith, of course, will produce good works. Absolutely. We thank God for the new birth. And the Lord's work in our lives. Even though we do not execute perfectly. As we would like all of the time. But at the root of legalism. And all of these vices in Colossians 2, by the way. Is the terrible... Despicable notion that somehow, in some way, from some angle, Christ is not sufficient. He's not enough. We have to do something. We've got to do it to make God love us or to keep. Loving us. Relationships that in this way. Are unhealthy or abusive. We translate those very same thought patterns. To the Lord. Somehow we've just got to. Do it and perform. So that he will love us. And my friends this is not true. At all. God sent his son, he showed us his love at the cross. When he freely gave us his one and only son. Who was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Dear Christian, rest in Jesus. Rest in his perfect work on your behalf. Rest in the blood that was shed for you and for me. He is more than sufficient to save you both from the penalty and from the power of your sin. Let me say that again. He is more than sufficient to save you both from the penalty and from the power of your sin. Sin. That literally is the tour de force in Colossians 1. It is why he front ends his letter by telling you how spectacular Christ is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God Himself is your Savior. He shed his blood for you in Christ to purchase you. And he sealed that deal by giving you his Holy Spirit. Who is yours till the day of redemption. You, scripture declares, Romans 8 verse 17, you are a co-heir with Christ. You were not slipped in the back door. Jesus did not finish most of the work, leaving some of it, however big or little we might think it is, subconsciously, for us to finish. Legalism can be a list of vices to avoid. It can be a list of requirements of things that you must do or observe if, as if you're still living in the Old Testament. Saints, all of these ceremonies and such that pointed to Christ. They actually did that. They pointed to Christ. But they no longer have the value or the meaning that they used to do. Why would we worship a shadow and not the reality? Paul had to speak to this so often in the New Testament. Saints, you are free to rest in Jesus. To love your neighbor. To worship God. And to pursue righteousness by His grace. Fellow saint, you are loved. You are accepted. Hear me. Christ has come. He's come. He lived the life that you could never live. And he died a death that you could never die. He suffered in your place for your sins. And he is more than sufficient. In every conceivable way. He is a beautiful and a, an all-sufficient Savior. Do not go on feeling guilty. Dear saint, because Christ paid it all. Do not feel ashamed because of your past or associations or even your current circumstances. Of course, where there's sin involved on your part, you repent and you leave it. Obviously. God has seen you, He has pursued you, He loves you, and He accepts you in the beloved. Do not exhaust yourself trying to prove yourself or earn your worth, no matter what people in your past have told you your parents, your coach, your teacher, whomever, your friends. You are his. Rest in his unconditional love for you. And allow that Christian joy to well up in your soul. We are good news to others when we grow more and more secure in the tender love that God has for us. And the tender care that he shows us. Now, friends, do not compare yourself to other people. Ah, comparison. The joy thief. It is so easy to lose heart when we fixate ourselves on others. Their perceived strengths... Or the lack of or their lack of trials, or so it seems from your vantage point listen i 'll pers- i 'll be personal. I know there are many, many preachers more capable, more engaging than I am, but I also know and remind myself that god 's put me here for the here and the now. Keep that in mind for yourself as well. God wants to use. You. And the qualifying factor is not your good looks, it's not your performance, it's not your abilities, it's not your confidence, on down the road. God is looking for a person on this piece of turf that believes him, that loves him, and will serve him. God can use you. So many people have told me over the years, Pastor, I just feel so unworthy being here. I look around and everybody's got it together. Except for me. I'm the misfit. I'm the one that doesn't belong. I'm the one who doesn't fit in. If only they knew the thoughts that I thought yesterday. If they only knew where I've been. If they only knew my struggles. Saints, I am here to tell you that every last one of us here, we are a piece of work. And it is true that there are seasons that are more difficult or more challenging for all of us, for sure. It's also true that some of us have the ability to kind of mask how we're actually feeling in a given moment here or in other places. But friends, I want you to know you belong. There's a place at the table for you. Because God has the final word, and God has adopted you through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the entire story of the gospel. It is the very essence that runs counter cultural to every single philosophy and religion the world has ever known, bar none. Guess what? You're a sinner and you can't do anything about it. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. There's somebody who is so beautiful, who is so glorious, who is so powerful. He did it all for you. All of it. Have you ever gone shopping and maybe used like a coupon or a You had a gift card or something. I did this the other day. Bought myself a taco. I had a gift card. I looked at the receipt. You know what my tacos came up to? 0.00. It cost me nothing. Because I had a birthday gift card. This is the point. The gospel is so beautiful. And even when we are saved... As believers in Christ, our adversary will constantly look for ways to trip us off, to trip us up, to take our eyes off of Christ, to make it more complicated than it ever needs to be. And do not misunderstand me. I am not belittling sin. I am simply saying the blood of Christ covers it all. We are free to live for the Lord by His grace. I want you to look at what the scripture says. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says this. You'll remember this. This is a great spiritual warfare passage. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Who are we wrestling with? Where is the battle, I should say? This is spiritual warfare. It's not the guy in front of you. Jesus said the gates of hell cannot, will not prevail upon his church. However, he, Satan, can certainly promote falsehoods to distract, to deter, to discourage, and to demoralize believers. He literally sets up a fake Everything, everything is fake. None of what he has to say in any way is attached to reality. That's the spirit of the age, by the way. When we become so detached from what is so clearly in front of us. Remember, here's another one. What Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Speaking of Satan. Even Satan disguises himself or masquerades as an angel of light. As we said last week, forever, please banish the silly notion that he's going to show up in a red suit with a pitchfork. Not at all. He's sneaky. He bends things just enough so that the Christian life becomes warped. I mean, how ridiculous. You were saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus plus nothing and now all of a sudden, as he told the Galatians, you're going to work it out by your works? He bends things and he twists things so that it does not develop joy in our life. I often say, like in regards to the cults, this is a clear example, like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, those type things. They look kind of Christian to the undiscerning eye. But it doesn't take five minutes to realize this is like from outer space. But this is what Satan does in the church too. So that we start off from this beautiful platform of being saved by grace. And then somehow we, we, we put this big load on our back. And say, okay, now I've got to carry this every day. But let me break down for you the spiritual warfare in a way that we can grasp. I am not suggesting that we are out there fighting the powers of darkness through hand-to-hand combat. The battle so often is in the mind. How we think. Remember Romans 12. 11 chapters of beautiful theology. Then here's how you live. Chapter 12. What's the first thing he says? Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. These dark forces produce convincing arguments and ways of thinking that often seem pretty good at first glance. But underneath they are deceptive and they are not according to Christ. Listen, we're almost done. They hold no value Or power to you to put sin to death as you follow Christ. You died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. Don't ever go back to it. Saints, my parting words to you this morning is this. Freedom. You are in Christ. Christ is victorious. As we saw last week, he is the victor. He is awesome. He did not do a half job for him. That would be impossible. He has defeated the powers of darkness and rescued you out of their domain. This was his work and not our work. You are redeemed. You are secure. You are loved. And you currently, Romans chapter 5, you reign in life through Christ. I leave you with Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. Stand firm in said freedom. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. With every eye closed and head bowed. I know and I suspect that this is a struggle for many, many people. It's a very convincing argument that has tripped many of us up. It's good for us to give inventory to our thoughts, how we, how we approach life and serving the Lord. If these vices that we have spoken to are applicable to you last week or this week, I just want to double down and say with Paul, renew your mind. Renew your mind. You only do that through the truth of God's word. God's word is our straight edge. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth actually will set you free. Heavenly Father, thank you for yet another Lord's Day in which we can gather and worship And give thought to your word, to your truth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use these things to encourage us, to help us. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. The good news of Christ. That Christ has come, he laid down his life, he was buried and he rose again. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.